Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. morning we concluded some thoughts that we began in verse number 12 and the first part of verse number 13 where the Bible gives us our theme there in verse number 13 he said brethren I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I mentioned to you this morning last year we've talked about the importance of reaching in we talked about the importance of reaching out, reaching into the ministry of the local church, finding our spot in the body of Christ and how God can use us as an instrument of His body. Reaching out, we talked about from the, from the book of Jude, the need to uh, reach out to a lost and dying world with the gospel and the imperative uh, that it is, the, the, the urgency that there is to reach out to this world before it is everlasting, too late to be of some have compassion making a difference saving with fear the Bible says but here in the book of Philippians chapter number 3 we see that we as a church and we as Christian individuals should not only see an importance of reaching in and reaching out but we see an importance of reaching forth the Bible tells us how we are to reach forth we're to reach forth with frankness we saw that in verse number 12 Paul gave us a frank report of his spiritual condition. He spoke to us in great honesty of where he was and the fact that he was not where he wanted to be and he was not yet where he needed to be, but it was his desire and he was pursuing it with everything that he had. He was uh, he was dealing with self. He was dealing with himself. He was dealing with the me, if you will, and he dealt with the moment right then. He wasn't worried about the past, but he was dealing with those things in the moment because God uses our present moment to base, uh, to determine rather our future. And we must deal with God presently if we're going to have what God would have for us in the future. Tonight we move from this reaching forth with frankness and begin to see this thought tonight that we must reach forth with not only frankness, but with forgetfulness. Notice what he says in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Tonight I submit to you that in our humanity, forgetfulness is something we are all too familiar with. <laughs> Having the ability to forget identifies us as being human. You see, we have a God that does not forget. 
We have a God that does not lapse in memory or in judgment. When we forget something, whether it be big or small, in the eyesight of the world, uh, it is something that uh, identifies us as human beings. I would say that most of us would wish that we were less forgetful than we are. I know I sure do. Amen. <laughs> and uh, my wife would say amen to that. With everything that I have in my life, and you could say the same thing, with everything that life throws at us that we have to keep up with, it is very easy to be forgetful. I don't know if I've mentioned this name in preaching to you before, but the very first King James only Baptist preacher that I ever heard in person in my life was uh, was an older man of God, an older uh, an older preacher out of uh, he pastors a church in Beulah Dean, North Carolina. If that tells you anything, what he sounded like, Beulah Dean, North Carolina. Amen. His name was Pastor Bob McCurry. When God saved Bob McCurry and God, uh, well, at least when God called Bob McCurry to preach, Bob McCurry was going to school to be a chemist. Now, you would never know that by Beulah Dean, North Carolina. You would never know that just from hearing him preach. He was one of the most brilliant men, but one of the most simple preachers you've ever heard in your life. But what stuck out to most people that have ever heard Bob McCurry preach was the fact that when he walked in the pulpit, his Bible was like this. And for the entire sermon, you would never see him open it. Now, you would listen to him as he would come in the pulpit like any other preacher. He'd stand in the pulpit, he'd have his Bible under his arm, and he'd tell you what chapter and verse to turn to, and he would immediately begin to quote those verses, and he never missed a beat. His whole message, he would stand in the pulpit just long enough to quote a verse, and when he would preach, he'd come down on the floor, and he'd spend the rest of the message on the floor, quote hundreds of verses, never open a Bible and preach some of the most beautiful outlines, alliterated, outlined messages that you've ever heard and never carried a note with him. One day as a young preacher, I was probably 13 years old, I met Brother McCurry and I asked him, I said, Preacher, how in the world do you do that? See, I'm getting nervous not having my Bible open now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I don't, I don't have his mind. But I said, Brother McCurry, Respectfully, how do you do that? How do you remember all of your notes? How do you remember your outlines like that? How do you remember all of those verses? And he said, son, he said, when I do my outlines, he said, I write them out completely one time. He said, I will read it through from the top of the page to the bottom of the page one time, and I can never forget it. Wow. He has what is known as an eidetic memory. His mind processes information in pictures. So from now, from that, the day that God gave him that message to the day he dies, he can always recall the picture of that outline in his mind. And in his mind, he can read it as if it's in front of him. He is a brilliant man. As I said, he's going to school to be a chemist when God called him to preach. God took that brilliant mind and he's used it all over the country for the cause of Christ. 
And that's all I've heard him preach. I've heard him preach dozens of times. I've never seen his notes. I've ne I remember one time I was in a service. Brother McCurry was there to preach in a revival meeting. He'd preach all week long. And I remember I was sitting on the front row, which was my usual spot, until I got married and had kids, and you have to move back for the reasons that you have to move back, nursery, etc. But I remember being a young person. I sat there on the front row, and I overheard the conversation that Brother McCurry had uh, with some of the men in the church. He, sa he said, Brother so-and-so, I forgot my Bible at the house. Can I borrow one of yours? And they gave him one of the pew Bibles. He said, and when the man handed it to him, Brother Tommy, he said this, don't worry, I won't open it. I just want to have it. I want to hold it. And so that's what he did. He preached with a borrowed Bible. Preached all week long. Didn't bring a note and didn't bring his Bible with him. Preached all week long because of what he had in his mind. I wish we, all of us around the room tonight, I told that story. And probably some of us in our minds said, man, that would be nice. I'd love to have a memory like that. Amen. I know us preachers would love to have that. Amen. To be able to remember all, all of those things. Amen. And I'm telling you, I would love to have a memory like that. But most of us, we don't have the privilege to have an eidetic memory. We don't have the privilege of having a photographic memory. We have a tendency to be more forgetful than we'd like to. This verse, however, is not speaking of that kind of forgetfulness. If we look at what we are being told to forget, look at your Bible. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. He's talking about forgetting the past. Forgetting those things that I like to call the things that are in the rear view mirror of life. The things we've already passed. Human forgetfulness is the problem that it is because we are forgetting things that we wish we could have remembered. And the problem is, Paul is saying, it's not that we are forgetting things that we wish we would have remembered, but it is when we forget the things that uh, it is, it's, excuse me, when we remember things that we wish that we could forget. We try all kinds of ways to try to remember things and we still end up forgetting. We try all of the mnemonic devices to try to remember and a lot of times we still end up forgetting. If we cannot control what we remember and what we forget, then how is it that you and I are going to do what we're being told to do in this passage? He tells us oh, that we are to on purpose forget the things that are behind I, I double dog dare you like we used to say on the playground to try to force yourself to forget something. You know what you'll do if you try to force yourself to forget? You will remember it better for trying to forget it than you would have if you had left it alone. Paul here understands, humanly speaking, that we have no control over what we remember and what we forget. What we forget is accidental, and it's not something that we want. How can we do this? We can because Paul here is not speaking of for a forgetting of physicality, something in the physical world, something physically speaking, but rather he is speaking about a forgetting in practicality. 
What I mean is this, is that Paul is not saying that we are to forget the past in the most physical sense of the word. We realize that we, when he says this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, all of those things are in the present tense. He's telling us that we are to do that now. He's imploring us to do that now. But look at what he says prior to these verses. We began tonight reading in verse number 7. But if you'll take a careful look at verse number 1 through 6, what does Paul tell us? He talks to us about his past. He talks to us about what his life looked like before he came to know Jesus as his Savior. So Paul, when he says, forgetting those things which are behind, he is not saying that in this current moment that had been said, Paul, what he's not saying is, I'm writing these things down in verse 1 through 6, and I'm going to write these down in verse 1 through 6, and now that I come to verse number 13, I'm going to erase them from my mind forever. I wanted to write them down one last time before I erase them from my mind forever. That's not what he's saying here. He's telling, he just told us what his past looked like. And when he says, this one thing I do, that's current. That's what he's doing already in the same chapter, in the same passage. We could use this terminology. It doesn't quite fit because he's writing it down. But if he was saying this out loud, we would say in the same breath that he tells us to forget the past. He tells us about his past. And he says in the same time that he's telling us about his past, he's telling us that he is already actively doing this one thing of forgetting that which is behind. So we understand that that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is letting us know that even though he will never physically forget where he was when God found him, here is what he's saying, that in a practical sense, all of those things that were in his past that he said he counted as a gain to him in a, in a, in a, a religious success that added cloud to his life, that added success to his life, all of the things that he could boast in in, uh, in the Jewish religion. He says, this is what it means when he says, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. He's saying, I'm not going to allow my past to hinder my future. He's saying, I'm going to move past it. I'm going to render it pointless in my life. He said, I'm going to move past it in such a way that it'll be as if I have completely forgot about it. You can think about this. You can imagine you told the Apostle Paul's testimony here. Think about, I read it, some of it this morning, Acts chapter number 9, the Apostle Paul's testimony there. You can imagine... <clears throat> The tormented mind and conscience of the Apostle Paul everywhere he went. This is a man I mentioned this morning that the Bible said would take men and women and drag them out of their homes, drive, he knew they were Christian, drag them out of their houses of worship, yes, arrest them, persecute them. Mm -hmm. He was consenting to Stephen's death. We know of at least one Christian that he was consenting to his death. He put his amen on the slaughter, on the stoning of Stephen. He approved of it. He held the coats of the ones that picked up the stones to stone him, to kill him. 
That was the Apostle Paul's past. Now God has saved him, Brother Dean. He's called him to be apostle to the Gentiles, and now he's preaching in the churches of those that he once persecuted. Could you imagine being Paul? <laughs> Standing up in their churches and have no doubt having to look people in the eyes and tell them about the grace of God and tell them about the revelation of scriptures that God was revealing to him when it is very possible that the ones that he's preaching to, he murdered their families. I don't personally believe this. I have my own thoughts about the thorn in the flesh, but Brother Demon Nice said that he believes that that tortured conscience was Paul's thorn in the flesh. That everywhere he goes, he has to remember what he did to Christians and what he did to people that believed the right way and believed on Christ. And now he's trying to lead them and he's trying to encourage them to follow them as his spiritual leader when in the back of his mind no doubt Paul probably thought what right do I have to be here doing what I'm doing he was an apostle a writer of scripture everyone that heard him had to listen to them had to listen to him to grow in Christ and to be right with God. They had to follow his leadership as he led them in the ways of God and the spirit-filled life. But he probably no doubt struggled with the thought of why would they listen to me? How could they listen to me when I've done what I've done? Paul's past very well could have hindered his future life for the Lord, his efforts for the Lord. And the Bible tells us here that he was starting churches with new, the Bible tells us about Paul, he was starting churches with new believers that was not too far in the past that he was persecuting them from the day of Paul's uh, from the days of Paul's persecution to now was only a period of about 30 years I'd say this 30 years amen and amen if y'all know how old I am 30 years ago wasn't that long ago 1993 was not that long ago that was 30 years ago you think about in that short of a span of time the change that God has made in Paul's life and now he has to and he has to try to minister and to serve God and preach to people that no doubt would have been alive uh, to, uh, to face uh, the wrath of Saul uh, the persecutor before he became Paul the preacher. I can imagine what this did in Paul's life. It very well could have immobilized his service for the Lord. But he says here that he was determined and he had determined that he was not going to let it cause him to be immobile in his ministry for the Lord. He wasn't going to let it stop him. He wasn't going to let it hinder him. He was going to reach forth with forgetfulness. Many people are like Paul. Maybe people in this room, you're a lot like Paul. And you say, preacher, you don't have to say it out loud. But maybe somewhere in your mind, you'd say, preacher, I've got a lot behind me. My past is filled with scars. My past is filled with events and uh, attitudes and situations and actions that I would never want anybody to know about. There's things of my past that never make their way in my stories. There's parts of my past that I try to hide as much as I can. I'm ashamed of that. 
Paul here says, don't let your past, don't let what you used to be. And by the way, your past could be as recent as yesterday. Amen. Your past could be as recent as anything before this service. Paul said, do not let that hinder you in your walk with God. He said for you and your, your walk with Christ, reach forth with forgetfulness. Put it behind you. Let God that has paid for your sin, let him help you to choose today to forget those things which are behind. Notice Paul does not say that he is forgetting the thing behind him, but the things, plural, behind him. You may say, I've got a lot of things in my past. I'll tell you this tonight. If that's the case, you're in good company because Paul had a lot behind him too. I hear it said all the time, and if you say this, I'm not correcting anybody. I understand the sentiment. I heard it said even recently in a message I was listening to online, the Bible said that Paul is the chief. The Bible said that Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And I hear people say all the time, that's the way I feel. I'm the chief of sinners. And if you feel that way, that's one thing, but that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was not saying that he felt like he was the chief of sinners. He said he was. God put it in the Bible. That meant God amended it. That meant God said, that is absolute truth. What that, when Paul said, I am the chief of sinners, when he dealt with that verse, and I know I'm paraphrasing, but when he said that, he said, I, I, was, I am literally the worst sinner to ever live. Here, the chief of sinners. The worst sinner to ever live said, I am determining by the help and the grace of God that I am going to forget all of the things in my past. I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm not going to let it hinder me. I'm not going to let it slow me down. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to forget those things. He said, the worst one to ever live said, that's what I'm going to do. He has done. His past was a whole lot darker than yours. His past was a whole lot dirtier than yours. His past was a whole lot more filled with uh, sin than yours. If Paul can do it, you can do it. And you can let God help you get beyond your past. Amen. Amen. Paul here lets us know that if we identify with him, the grace of God can help us in doing what he does. You can imagine how encouraging this would be to the Philippian church. Amen. I think we could all take time this evening describing of all that is behind us. And we could all, uh, if we chose to, give testimony of how this truth applies to our very lives. Now, we won't take the time to do that. But aren't you glad that here in the pages of the Word of God. There's help to be found for our past. Amen. And it does not. Listen to me. Church, you listen to me. Your past does not have to dictate your future. Y'all look at me for just a minute. Every one of us, from the preacher all the way around the room, Every preacher that ever stands in the pulpit, every church member that ever walks into a church, or every saved person that has ever been saved by the grace of God, we all have skeletons in our closet. Right. 
If Paul had skeletons in his closet, no doubt we do as well. We all have sins of the past. We all have things that we know are mistakes, and we wish we had not made them. And here's the kicker of it all. We all have things that we wouldn't want the light to be turned on in our life and others to see and be exposed. We have skeletons in our closet even after we've been saved. That's the kicker of it all. It would be easy to say all of the bad things I did was prior to my salvation. All of my skeletons were prior to my salvation, and it's all under the blood, and amen, everything since has been all roses and wonderful, but we can't say that. I am thankful, though, that it's not just all of my sins that I have committed in my past that are under the blood. But when Jesus died on the cross, all of my sins were still future. And so every sin I, that's in my past, the blood is covering those and forgiving those and taking care of those. And every sin I ever will commit is covered by the blood, washed in the blood, dealt with by the blood of Christ. Amen. And so, therefore, we have this great opportunity to get past our past. Amen. Paul expressing he will not be de deterred by his past. He will not be controlled by his past. He is not going, he is not going to let his past keep him from looking toward the future. He will not allow himself to be influenced or affected by the past. It is a memory, and that is all that it is. As far as, Paul, as, as, far as Paul is concerned, that's all it ever will be. A memory. As far as how he's going to live for God today and every day in his future that he can, uh, that he is, is, is planning for, he says he's going to live so unaffected by his past that it will be as if he has already forgotten it. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said it simply means this passage, forgetting those things which are behind forgetting, he said it simply means that we break the power of the past by living for the future. Instead of letting his past be weights that hold him back, he lets it become inspiration that speeds him along. You realize tonight that your past does not have to be that which hinders you, but the fact that you have a past, the fact that you're, the things that you have committed that are wrong against God, the things that you don't want to even have to admit, even to your own self, the, the past that causes you to say, God can't use me. God wouldn't want somebody like me. Some of, you, some of you young men, you may be looking at a past and you say, God can't call me to preach. God can't use me in a great way. God can never touch my life. Some of you ladies can say, I can't have what that dear Christian sister has. I can't have this and I can't do that. You might have be here this evening and you have that kind of mentality. Amen. But what we understand here is that he is letting us know, amen, that our, our past doesn't have to hold us back. It can motivate us and move us and propel us to what God has for us in the future. Do you know the Bible lets us know that those who have been forgiven much love much? The most faithful servants that God has are the ones that live the most wicked lives. The ones that are willing to bear the reproach of the name of Christ 
more than the rest are those that realize where God was when he found them. And the gutter that they were in and the, the, the wretched, uh, the, the wretch that they were and the, and the cesspool of sin that they were in. And they realize that and they live uh, with that knowledge every single day. And instead of it causing them to shut down on serving God, it intensifies their service. Paul said, I'm not going to let it hinder me. But here he gives us his past. He gives us his testimony. He tells us about where he was before Christ. And he uses that knowledge to encourage these Philippians to go on for God themselves. He said this, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself tonight. But he said this, those things which were gained to me. Those I counted loss for Christ. You know, we're living in an hour right now with all of the situation of the banks and everything that's going on right now. We're living in a culture that knows a lot about loss right now. I saw an article recently uh, where Sharon Stone said that she lost over half of her net worth in the bank crash. Now I would imagine the other half is pretty well good enough to sustain the rest of her life. But she said she lost half of what she's gained in life in those crashes. You, you don't think that those families in 1929 when the stock market, the stock market crashed learned about loss? They didn't lose half of multi-millions, they lost everything. You had people in the 20s, the roaring 20s that were living it up and enjoying the blessings of living in an America that had been prospered in an, in an, in an unusual way. Now they're begging on the street for a morsel of food. People that went, went, once went to work in suit and ties were wearing rags on the side of the road because they lost it all. Paul said, everything that was gained to me before Christ, I counted as a total loss. I counted as, as nothing. It's worthless to me. It is a total loss. And Paul said, I am willing to lose all of what being lost and being in the Jewish religion, I'm willing to lose it all, that in my life I can gain one person, Christ. Let me ask you this. Like I said, this is getting ahead of the message, but what are you willing to lose that you can replace it with Jesus? Are you willing to lose anything that you can have more of Jesus Christ in your life? Paul here says, forgetting those things which are behind. I'll use this illustration. Well, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but when I think about this passage, I know this may be silly. But I mentioned that it's those, these things that are past, I call those things that are in the rearview mirror of life. When I read this verse every time, I think that what Paul is saying here is he's saying that I'm putting all of those things which are behind, I'm putting those in the rearview mirror. A rearview mirror, can I say this? Paul here is saying that he's putting, that he's putting <clears throat> these things in the rearview mirror. You think about driving a car. A good driver cannot spend a lot of time constantly focusing in the rearview mirror. That's right. If you've ever tried to do that, you'll wreck. 
By the way, if you do it spiritually, you'll wreck your life too. You can speak. You, you have to if you're going to be a good driver. Now, I'm not claiming to be, but I know a few. Amen. <laughs> if you're going to be a good driver, you've got to spend much more time looking through the windshield than you do in the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror is great to glance back at every once in a while so you can see where you've been. And you look at you look at the road behind you. And you know what the road behind you can say? Thank God I've made it this far. That's the journey behind me. So the bad things you look at and you say, all oh, those are the past. And I'm moving beyond those. All the good things you look at and you thank God for the journey. But when it's past, it's past. God here says we need to move on. You put the things that are past in the rearview mirror, amen, you look in the windshield, you, uh, you uh, look at what God has done and given you the journey that he's given you. You let what's in the rearview mirror be a great encouragement along the way. If you, God has allowed you to have a long and hard journey of life, you put the things that are weighing you down in the rearview mirror and you see either thank God for the journey or thank God that those things are behind me and you look in the you, you look in the in the in the windshield of life amen and you look for what's in front of you what God has before when you're driving a car you're not reading the street the street signs you've already passed you're reading the street signs that are in front of you you're looking for the exits that's in front of you. You're looking for the turns that's in front of you. Can I remind all of us tonight that God has some exits that he wants us to take in life. God has some turns that he wants us to make in life. God has some direction that he wants to give us in life. And it does no good to look at all the turns you missed along the way. Look in all the direction that you failed to do right along the way. The rear view won't help you, but the, uh, the windshield is what God would have for you to look through in your life. Amen. And can I say this this evening? Amen. Beacon Baptist Church, we need to learn this lesson, and we need to apply this lesson to ourselves as individuals and to ourselves as a church. Amen. We need to let the past stay in the past. And move forward. We are to live so focused on the future that we forget about anything that is behind. And listen to me now, not the things in the past that bless us. There's faith. We're, we're having homecoming this coming Sunday, one week from today. You know what we're going to be doing on this coming Sunday? We're going, while we own homecoming, we are looking forward. We are rejoicing in 34 years, and we're looking forward to many uh, more. We're going to spend a lot of time looking in the windshield and thanking God for where we are now and what God's got for us before. But do you know what the purpose of homecoming is? To take a few minutes and take a peek in the rearview mirror. Look at what God's done around here in 34 years. One of the things that I've been doing as of late is trying to digitize our church minutes. And I know some of you say, man, that sounds super exciting. It is. Amen. <laughs> to type up 34 years of business meetings, it's a blessing. But here's what it does. And, and I've had folks offer to do that for me. And I say, you know what? I want to do it myself. I said, I appreciate it, but I want to do it myself. And here's the reason why. Because it allows me to familiarize myself about what God did on these grounds before I ever got here. 
and there'll be there's things that I thought I knew about our church that I'll read it and I'll say, wow, that was different, or that was, you know, what, what it, was, it was altered a little bit from what I thought I knew. And you read it there and you say, man, what a God we have to be faithful to give us a place right here to worship Him for 34 years. To be faithful to bring in folks after folks after folks after folks, salvation after salvation, looking at all the all of the different times that we said this family wants to join and that family wants to join. I've I've typed up so many of your names as you made motions for things in church. I told Brother Gary the other day. I said we we were talking on Wednesday night and said I've been thinking about you all day because I've typed your name four hundred times today. Amen. While I was working on those minutes early this morning, and uh, Brother Gary said, well he said, I like, to, I like to make motions on those things because I've never been one to just let stuff sit. I wanted to get stuff done. Amen. And in 34 years, God has allowed us to get some things done for His glory. Amen. It's good to take a peek in the rear view every once in a while. But here is, here's the problem, though. We as a church need to make sure that when we look in the past and we, we look in that rear view, it's only for encouragement and to praise God for the journey that He's given. There's a whole lot of churches that live stuck in the past. I could name churches that you would know I'm on camera and I'm not going to do that but I'm sure most of you would know some of the churches that we could talk about this evening that it took them years as a church to get over their past to accept new leadership to accept new direction to accept what God was doing in the present in the windshield instead of the rear view right no, the rearview mirror is to give God praise for the journey. Looking back at the past, if it is, if it'll hinder us, God said, "Render it so pointless to us, Amen." That we, uh, that we, uh, that it is as if we forgot it. And if it is a blessing, like what we're doing next week, look at it from time to time, give Him praise and think about it. But all along, we've got to go forward. As individuals, we must go forward. As a church, we must go forward. We cannot be hindered by a church about the failures of the past. And here's the sad thing. Some churches become hindered by the successes of the past. They come to a, a new season in their ministry and they say things like this. It'll never, I've heard, you can't tell you how many times I've heard this. It'll never be the way it used to be. You know what that is? That's letting the past hinder the present of a church's ministry. God doesn't want us to have that. And for some churches, it may never be what it was in a heyday. It may never be, but God never wants us to lose vision and lose heart. Amen. All of those things. Church, you listen to me. All of those things, that's God's business. If a church one time had a thousand and they never have a thousand again, that's God's business. That's right. He said Matthew 16, or Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 18, 16, whichever it is, Christ said, I will build my church. I know we've read a whole lot of books and we've had a whole lot of preachers write a bunch of books on how to build a church, how to build a Sunday school, how to do this and how to do that. Man does not build his church. Christ builds the church. Now we ought to be faithful. We ought to be soul winning. We ought to be inviting folks to church. We ought to do what God would have for us. Amen. But it's Christ that builds His church. We need not to let past failure 
hinder us from going forward as individuals in churches saying things like this we've never done it this way before we've never had it this way and we look back in the past and we say well we can't go we can't do this because we look back in the past and we say well we've never done it this way before and that past hinders us we look back in the past and say oh we look back and we say we made all these mistakes and that hinders us or we look back in the past and we see the successes and we see the blessings and we let success you think about how foolish it is to let success hinder a life success hinder a ministry Paul said here that spiritually speaking I have been as successful as anyone could ever be in religion I have been as successful as anyone could ever be no doubt these Pharisees that Paul was they were very rich they had all of the accolades of life and the wealth of life and Paul said I've had it all and I count it as nothing without Christ if I have it all and I don't have Jesus I don't have anything here, Paul lets us know that. Both refusing to move forward and reliving the glory days of a ministry, our forms of being stuck in the past. God is telling us not to allow our future to be determined by the past, and then to go on for God. Amen. He told this church to let that be the case. He tells these individuals in their own life to let God chart the course of their future and not be hindered by the past. Beacon Baptist Church, let me ask you these questions and I'm done tonight. Are we interested in what's over and done with? Are we interested in what's happening today? Are we interested in what's to come? Will we let, will we as a church and will we as individuals determine today to pursue with everything that we have what is in the windshield of life, what God has before, all of the direction and all of the blessing that God has waiting for us. The greatest thing about Paul when he's saying this here, when he says reaching forth, that means that he realizes that there's something ahead of him that he can hold on to. This is not a man that's hoping against hope for a glorious future that God has. This is a man that is standing there with, all, with hands wide open, ready to receive what God has for him next. As he runs, as he lives, as he goes forward, he does so with an open hand, reaching out to get closer, to grab onto, to possess what God has in the future. In your heart and in your life, do you understand for us as a church and for you as a Christian, there's a glorious future that God has in mind for all of us. You apply it to our ministry, you apply it to yourself, there's a glorious future God has for each and every one of us. Are we reaching forth, forgetting the things that are behind that could hinder us, and going forward with everything that we have for the cause of Christ, with our hands wide open, realizing God's got something better for us than we could ever imagine. And I want, I want what God has for me. Let's, let's decide tonight to do that. Every, every head bowed. Every eye. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.